Hello and welcome to another special here on Talking Raphael. My name is Cal McCaffrey. I am joined here by Mark Hendry. Hello again. And Daniel Bowers. Hello again. Now, for this first our special this week, we have an interview with sports broadcaster Paul Mitchell. Mark went to visit him last week at the BBC. Yep. Uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about your experience. Uh, it was extremely interesting. I mean, um, I went there with my, my sports journalism hat on. I went there sort of selfishly for us as a group um, because obviously he is a professional. He's been there, he's done it. He's someone who many of us aspire to be like. Um, there's a few of us, not myself per se, because I, I don't think I've got the voice for commentary, but there are some in our class, in our course, in our year, in our, in our uni that want to be commentators. So from a, a selfish point of view, I went to see how he does it, what he's, how he's, um, what his route was like into the uh, the profession. Um, and I suppose... You know, from our experience, we've been to press boxes, we've been to gantries to see what it's like, but we've never known fully what we're supposed to do there, where we're supposed to go, who we're supposed to speak to, how it all comes together. So I just wanted to go in and find out from Paul his experience, and and there's a few wee sort of special excerpts in there as well. Okay, well, uh, we're just going to play that interview for you now. Uh, here is Mark Hendry speaking to Paul Mitchell. Sports journalism, how did that come about for you? I took a slightly unusual route that I've got absolutely no formal qualifications whatsoever. Uh, I started off by just loving listening to football on the radio, so you're talking late 70s, uh, great European games, David Francie commentating from far-flung places, it all sounded very... Exotic, you know, horrible telephone line quality, <laughs> none of the, the really clear stuff. But I was just, I've always been intrigued by radio, it's fascinating. Uh, I started off uh, by joining Hospital Radio in Edinburgh, and Hospital Radio in Edinburgh had a history of doing broadcasting from Tynecastle. It had fallen into disrepair, and we managed a few of us together to get it going again. And the first game we covered was Hearts against Bayern Munich in the UEFA Cup, Ian Ferguson's famous free kick into the top corner and to be honest I was hooked straight away from that I entered the BBC Radio 2 Amateur Sports Commentator of the Year competition and I got to the Scottish final twice which probably wasn't a surprise there was probably only about 10 people entered um, I didn't win it on either occasion uh, but I made a couple of contacts at that and I was actually put in touch with people at BBC Sports Sound and they were looking for somebody to cover Edinburgh on a Saturday and I was given the chance and I've been here working freelance for the BBC ever since. So very much um, unconventional. Do you, ha do you have any sort of commentating idols? In terms of commentary idols, David Francie was probably the first that I heard on Radio Scotland, and Alistair Alexander as well was, you know, when I was sort of 19, 20, Alistair Alexander was one of the great voices of the BBC, and I've become very good friends with Alistair over the years. He was a bit of a mentor for me so you know these are the iconic voices for me you then look on the television side and when I was growing up it was Archie McPherson on the BBC and the great Arthur Montford on STV so I mean they were great voices to grow up with then Jock Brown STV and BBC so they were sort of the commentators of my era and uh, still great. In terms of um, sort of we're doing this obviously with a group of sports journalism students who and we've got quite a few of them 
who are interested in getting into commentary. Um, starting with a day in the, the gantry, if you like, what would you usually take with you? I mean, you know, you get people taking their laptops, people taking everything with them. What would you personally take with you? I'm a bit old school. I do all my preparation in advance. Um, I've got two sheets that I use. One is for my team sheet and the other is all my notes. For a typical commentary game, I'll have over 100 pieces of information on the notes. And for every player, I'll have age, height, place of birth, whether they're an international or not, how long they've been at the club, how often they've played for the club, how often they've scored for the club, for their total and for the season. And then I will have two or three notes on each player over and above that. It sounds like a lot of work, it is a lot of work, and you don't use very much of it. The key is to use the right stuff. That That is the absolute key. You get commentators who throw in stats all over the place. If it's good to use, use it. If not, don't. I did hear a story somebody told me of, of a commentator at the end of a game, the broadcast had finished, you know, just fist-pumped, and his partner said, what is it? He said, I used every piece of information I had. <laughs> No, 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 no. Use information sparingly. Use it well. Uh, I mentioned Alistair Alexander. He was one of the guys that helped me get my style and tell me if I was using too much information, too little information. I've also got to remember now, the internet makes life so much easier for commentators now. When I first started doing European games in the mid-90s, you know, we'd buy a good of Watersons and buy a book, you know, the European football handbook for the year, and that was it. Things have changed. There's much more information but that's not necessarily a good thing because people overuse information. If you're going to say something, it's got to be at least vaguely interesting. Um, so I'm pretty much prepared before I come to a game. All my players are on labels, so when I get a team sheet, I can just use my labels. I like things in numerical order. Not all team sheets come in numerical order. Some will come, you know, back four, midfield. Mm -hmm. just helps my brain that it's in numerical order. Um, I'm usually at a ground, if it's live television, two hours before, if it's live radio, an hour and a half before. It's good to go and talk to people, talk to the referee, talk to various people you know at grounds, try and get little stories, lines, information. I mean, an example of that was I did a game in Denmark with Queen in the South, and there was twins playing for the Danish side. So I asked one of their officials, you know, which one's the older? Just a nice little piece of information to have. And he said, oh, the older one is that. He says, amazing, he says, that's the third set of twins we've had here in three years. What great line. So I was able to use it. If I hadn't if bothered speaking to somebody, I wouldn't have had that line. That wasn't the sort of thing you could pick up. So it's worth talking to people. Uh, I like to get into position, you know, and then watch the players warm up. Um, especially if you've not seen a team before. You know, you look at age, height, weight, colour of boots now is a, is a big thing. Just how, you know, people run, how they move. Just so that, you know, within the first ten minutes of the game... Preferably the first eight minutes of the game, I know who everybody is, if I haven't seen a team before, um, and, and just go from there. So a lot of the prep's done before the day itself. How important do you think it is to have a sort of rapport with, you know, people inside the clubs and things like that, so that you, you can go to them? And, and I, think, I think what you want to do is you want to... I'm not one of these people who's great pals with everybody and things like that. That's not my aim. I just want people to know... I'm the commentator, and if I want to, you know, if I speak to them, they know who I am, so we can have a little chat. Um, you know, I don't want to be big pals with anybody. <laughs> you know, some people that's their style, and that's not mine. Uh, but I've been around a while now, so I know a lot of people, even just by face. Um, I've been known to 
hang around in a, in a tunnel as teams are coming out for their warm-up if they've signed somebody new just to check a pronunciation of a name. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you, you know, it's, it's quite important that you know people. Security people are quite important to know. You know, there, there's a whole range of people at clubs that's quite important. You don't have to be pally-pally, but, you know, you respect the boundaries they set and where you're allowed to go, where you're not. Uh, but I think I always like talking to referees, players, coaches and things before a game if I can. Going by personal experience, what are some of your, your favourite memories and of games that you have commented on? Wow. Um, <laughs> a bit broad of a question. No, it's a, it's a fair question. I think covering Scotland against Italy in the San Siro doesn't really come much better than that. That was amazing. Um, France played Italy in the World Cup final. They then met in the European Championships just a few months later. I covered that game in Paris. And that was just an incredible experience to see the rematch. Uh, I was there with Craig Brown, the former Scotland manager, uh, but there was problems with the accreditation. Uh, Craig ended up not getting in. Uh, I ended up getting in. And my co-com for the game live was Jim Duffy. He was sitting in Glasgow (laughs) because they had to call him because he lived closest to the BBC. So I did a commentary with me in Paris and Jim Duffy. Um, in Glasgow, it was brilliant. Jim and I had worked together a fair amount, and we never tripped over each other because we knew new style. Uh, then there's some memorable moments. I mean, all of the cup finals I've done have all been special in their own way. They might not be great games, but they're all mm-hmm. special in their own way. And just some great European nights. Um, Hibs lost at AK Athens East overall on aggregate Easter Road. They'd lost in Athens three 0 and they led two 0 at Easter Road minute to go, Paco Luna had scored twice just missed an amazing chance which would have been a European hat-trick would have taken it to extra time that night, and Hearts, Hearts when they played Stuttgart as well were, were tremendous it was just such a great European night, something special about football under floodlights it's just just great um, so all those games, there's probably hundreds more but those tend to stick in the memory You mentioned Jim Duffy and um, Craig Brown who are some of your sort of favourite co-commentators to work with? I've been fortunate, I've worked with a lot of guys um, one of my favourites simply because of who he is was Willie Miller I mean I remember watching you know in 1983 mm. Willie Miller and Aberdeen <laughs> win you know the cup winners cup and the big one handed salute you know and you know, sort of 16 years later I'm working with a guy you know who's a really nice guy You know, that, that just blows my mind you know that such an iconic figure uh, I've been lucky, I've worked with a lot of good people Pat Nevin, Billy Dodds uh, when it comes to Edinburgh Derby's BBC Scotland, not always but usually put Craig Paris and Alan Preston and myself on and I think we're the best commentary trio in the country <laughs> I think for that fixture mm-hmm. you know, Craig's the hibby, Alan's the jambo I'm in the middle, it's just fantastic fun, in terms of broadcasters Craig Patterson's probably the best broadcaster, he understands the whole workings of broadcasting and he's helped me out a few times and I've been coughing and choking you know, <laughs> the lights when the throat's not been mm-hmm. not been too good. But yeah, I've worked with a lot of really good people. Commentators, not so much yourself, but commentators in general get a lot of criticism from fans for, no matter who you support personally, yeah. um, fans are always criticising. I mean... I'm not immune to that. I mean, I've had my fair share. I've had folk write to the BBC and complain. I've had folk phone yeah. to the BBC and complain. Uh, I mean, I once did Hearts Celtic at Tynecastle, and Henrik Larson was just brilliant. Scored a hat-trick, you know, and people were phoning in saying I was the biggest Celtic fan ever. <laughs> just far from the truth, but people hear what they want to hear. That That's the problem. 
Um, it goes to the territory. It doesn't bother me in any way. If people want to criticise me, hey, go ahead. I'm happy to chat to anybody who thinks I'm useless. <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, it's only football commentary. You know, that, That's all it is. You know, you're there to have fun. You're trying to inform. You're trying to educate. Uh, I mean, I can genuinely tell you that if my team was in a cup final and I was doing it, I would rather have a great game and a flawless commentary and see them lose than me be awful and see them win. It's professionalism. I'm there to do a job. Whoever's playing, you know, doesn't bother me. It didn't bother me then. It doesn't bother me now. It did when I started on hospital radio, I remember, breaking my toe, kicking the front of a commentary box uh, <laughs> over a certain incident, and I've never done that again. We've spoken to... We had the pleasure of having David Begg in to the BBC... Eh, to the university, sorry. And he mentioned that he'd never personally had the, the perfect commentary. Do you think you've been anywhere close to that yourself? I don't think the perfect commentary exists. And I know David, I know David well enough to know that that's what he always strove for. Uh, and would perhaps give himself a hard time. You know, we all make mistakes. That's going to happen. You just don't want to mistake, make mistakes at the crucial times. I think live on air for the BBC, I think I've only called one goal scorer wrong. Uh, and I changed it the second I knew it. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't particularly happy with myself, but it's how you get out that hole. You don't want to make a big thing of it. Some people won't have noticed anyway. Um, but you've got to be professional often and admit to your mistakes. I don't think the perfect commentary exists. Uh, I've done many I've been very, very pleased with. Uh, and I've done one or two you think, yeah, possibly could have got that line in or said this. But as long as you're capturing the moment properly um, and not hopefully annoying too many people... Um, then you, you just do what you can. I mean, there's a lot to it. You want to be right about yourself. You want to get the flow of the game right. You want to use your co-com right. I think one of my strengths is I, I think I can use my co-commentator properly. Uh, and by that, I mean sometimes asking questions which I know the answer to. You're giving them a platform to explain the game. Mm. Um, if you've ever spoken to professional footballers who broadcast, they see the game differently to you or I. They just see it on a different level. That's been their livelihood. That's been their their life, their work. They see things that we don't see. And one of the jobs as a commentator is to, to get that out of them. Um, and sometimes you sit, I mean, I've sat with Craig Parisons before, Ian McCall before, and you say, look, if this game goes one-sided, we're going to talk about this or we'll try and develop that. So it's not all a surprise. You know, you, you've got to have themes. If you're working with a co-commentator and you've got something negative to say about them, tip them off in advance. Uh, I worked with Ross Jack... Um, Sorry, I worked with Jack Ross. <laughs> players you get Close confused. Enough. Derek and Darren Young and Ross Jack and Jack Ross, they're the players for me. When I spoke to him, I said, look, the last time these two teams played, Jack, you scored, but for their own team. I said, <laughs> so it will get mentioned at some point. I said, you can ignore it, you can come back to me, but you d I just didn't want to throw it at them cold, for example. So, you know, you work certain things out and you just you just have a chat. But I think that's quite important. Like, you know, you're on the same. Don't be afraid to disagree with these guys. I know they've played football and I mentioned it at great level, but on a penalty claim, for example, if you don't think it's a penalty, and they do, you can challenge them. And again, it's, it's part of the get out the discussion. Mm -hmm. In terms of talking about that, um, how much do you really think the other angle, as in having a former professional footballer, or even sometimes a current professional footballer, how do you think that adds to the commentary if they've given you a totally different angle to it? Do you know what I mean? If you're, if you're just calling the action but they're telling you why something happened, how much do you think the f fans and viewers get out of that? 
I think it's essential, absolutely essential. Um, and see, the job of the commentator is to draw that out of the co-commentator. These guys see things that we just don't see, and it's trying to get them to pull to pull that out. If you're watching TV, the last thing you want to do is just repeat and see, you know, what you've seen. They've got to add something different, and I think the best co-coms do that. I think if you look at Sky, David Proven, absolutely brilliant, just mm-hmm. nails it time after time after time. I'll tell you what. Give me a guy who knows his stuff. I don't want the superstars. And Davey Proven didn't play in England. Very good footballing career. Just shows how good he is that he's mm. been able to go on at Sky and do as well as he can. Alan Parry, Davey Proven put together on watch any game they do. Right. Do you think we get a lot of unnecessary criticism as well? Absolutely. You know, people hear what they want to hear. If your team's losing, the chances are you're going to be more critical. Do you think they get commentary m- team? more criticised because they, you know, I mean... For example, um, Martin Keown on Match of the Day, I think it was a couple, two weeks ago, it was Man United in Cambridge, I think it was, and he got a lot of criticism for saying about Wayne Rooney being offside, and that's just an example, and he was talking about the laws of the game and the rules of the game, and people were jumping down his throat saying about how wrong he was, and how wrong he was about just the, the rules in general. Do you think that's because he was a former player, or do you think that's just because... You've got to know the laws of the game. If anybody talks about the rules of the game, the answer's simple, there aren't any. That's what I tell them <laughs> all the time. There are no rules in football, it's all laws. So anybody who uses the word rules in commentary annoys me. Um, they should know the laws of the game. And it's as simple as that. I mean, the, the, big, the big one was, of course, when it changed from last man to denying an obvious goal-scoring mm-hmm. opportunity. It's a big change, but we all knew about it, and you've got to be able to handle that. You've got to explain things properly. Martin Keown will get things wrong. He's actually a very good co-com. I like him. I think he, he talks well about the game. But his commentator's got to try and challenge him a little bit on that and get information mm. back out. And it's, it's always hard in any sphere of life to correct someone if they're making what they think is correct. But it could even be as simple as you tap them on the shoulder, you press your lazy button so you silence the commentary, you whisper in his ear, by the way, that's actually... You know, mm. you can communicate with each other, um, you know, and if that's what it takes. The one thing Alistair Alexander told me is, you know, I mean, I've worked with likes of Willie Miller and people like that. I'm in awe of these guys for what they've achieved. But the thing he told me, he says, look, you're the broadcast professional. You're in charge. They're not the broadcast professional, you know, if, if they're only doing mm. it, you know, once in a while or whatever. So you take the lead, and it's important that you do that. Um, but yeah, guys are going to get it wrong. It happens. Yeah. Anyone who you see who's coming on that you think, right, every time he's commentating, I'm going to watch that game. The best young commentator around is Daniel Mann on Sky. I think if anybody's going to have a future, it's him. He's done really well at a good age. Um, I've met him a couple of times. Really nice, really nice guy. I think he's being groomed as your successors to your Tylers, to your Parries. Yeah. Um, I think he's the one to watch. I think he's really, really good. And I think he'll come through pretty strong. If you look down south at uh, BBC, the match of the day team's pretty much unchanged in the last 10 years. Uh, I was lucky enough to be part of that for a while. Uh, no longer part of that. Um, they need fewer commentators because they're doubling up yeah. the staff guys. Um, so there's not a great deal of change there. Uh, Guy Mowbray's quite young. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect him to be deposed any time soon <laughs> as the main guy down south. I think he's pretty good, knows his stuff. 
Um, the other guy that's impressed me over the last few years is Sam Matterface yep. on TalkSport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he made the transition to the ITV World Cup team pretty well. was very impressed. I think on TalkSport, the only criticism we'd have is he gets a bit shouty at goals. Don't confuse shouting and noise with actual commentating. I think that might be a little bit the station style. Um, but I think Sam Matterface could come through really strong. If anybody's going to replace <coughs> Clive Tilsley at ITV, I would reckon Sam Matterface has got a, got a good shot. Within Scotland, I know you've been to how many stadiums in your, in your time, but within Scotland, which you know press boxes or gantries, are, are, which, are the, which are your favourites to go to the stadiums? Stadiums in Scotland, some of them are quite incredible. Um, Is that in a good way? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, some are quite incredible. I mean, you know, I was at Aloha a few weeks ago, and you know, basically, you've just got a little bucket seat. There's no <laughs> special accommodation, yeah. but you can find a nicer and more warmly welcoming club. Um, I think, in terms of the best, because I'm only five foot six, I quite like Tyne Castle. It's very, very short and narrow, and if you're six foot plus, I know it's very uncomfortable. But <laughs> Tyne Castle, because you're just so close to the action. Is, is fantastic. Uh, Celtic, if you're doing television, you're up, you walk up and over the roof and drop down into the gantry. Um, walking up and over on a big cup tie, European night, just just magic. You know, um, It's a pretty good commentary position in terms of height. Mm-hmm. Um, Ibrox is good. Um, like things like Dens Park, you're quite far away because of the curvature of the stand. Mm-hmm. You're actually quite far back for radio television. You're on the opposite, the opposite side. So some are great, some are less great. You've just got to get on with it. I mean, I once commentated on a Livingston Celtic Scottish Cup tie, and I was actually outside the ground uh, on one of the office towers because there was no room inside the ground because Sky had taken it all up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was actually on the corner flag. Uh, with one monitor rather than traditional two, um, <laughs> trying to see a hundred odd metres in front of me, you just get on with it. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to. Yeah. Some of it is not ideal, mm-hmm. um, but the best I've ever been to out with Scotland for Newcastle. Great commentary position. You know, you, you've got a lot of space. You're nicely sighted in the stand. You're in the middle. So that, that's what you look for. I mean, personally, I like just to make sure I've got enough space. Don't like people too close to you. Um, the rule of thumb tends to be TV gets a lot of space and radio doesn't. Yeah. That just tends to be how it works. Well, that was going to be the, the next question almost. Um, would you rather, now that you've said it, but would you rather be in with the rest of the press or do you prefer the vantage point from the higher? You can see more, you can see formations and things, or would you prefer the sort of print media where you're sitting you know, no, in the press box? I, I prefer... A dedicated area for television, a dedicated area for radio, and a dedicated one for the press. To be fair to the press boys, if you've got some radio guy chuntering away when you're trying to write a match report, it's not easy for them. Uh, press guys then talk a lot. You don't want that if you're working on the radio. Uh, telly sometimes. You just want a bit of space because you don't necessarily want people looking over at the monitors mm. to see what's going on <coughs> and things like that. I did Queen of the South Hibs a few years ago in the Scottish Cup, and Queen of the South sold out the stand in which the commentary was to be in so literally I had two or three seats and then I was surrounded by Hibs fans and the boys were standing up standing next to me leaning over having a look at the replays and that was, it was great fun but it wasn't the ideal it wasn't the ideal setup. Again um, we were, as I mentioned David Begg earlier on he told us a story about one time when it was Jock Steen gave him into trouble about something 
and then he returned the favour by shouting at Jock Steen. Has that ever, have you ever sort of been told off for anything within the, <laughs> the job? Um, people will sometimes come back to you and say, hey, you said that about me, or you know, you said this, you said that. I'll happily talk to anybody if they think I've done them wrong. Quite happily talk to them. Uh, I was accosted by Jim Jeffries once after a Harps game. <laughs> who, who, was, who hasn't been? None too <laughs> happy about what I'd said on the radio. Um, but I explained to Jim what he'd heard was the final 30-second report, which he thought had done Harps down. Uh, but actually, if you'd heard the other two or three reports I'd made, you know, you had to summarise it. I wasn't actually doing Harps down. Um, but Jim just wanted a chat, and I was quite happy to to have a conversation yeah. with anybody. You'd rather it was done calmly. Um, and, Jim, and Jim was fine. It was good to chat to. Um, don't think I've upset too many people. You, you know, I've, I've had a fair bit of abuse from football fans. Mm. Um, but hey, that, go, that goes with the territory. With You do some post-match things and player interviews and things. Who's been your favourite player interview that you've done? Uh, I once interviewed David McCreary, who's with Hearts, and he put the headset on backwards. <laughs> so the microphone was at the back of his head that was quite <laughs> awkward um, <laughs> so some were more difficult Martin O'Neill's quite a shy guy yeah. um, you know so he wasn't the easiest interview in the world very articulate and very good but not one for small talk mm. before the interview I once interviewed Sam Allardyce after a match of the day game mm. and he'd seen my jacket which said BBC Sports Scotland so he, he Scotland what are you doing <laughs> down here? You know, it's like, oh, okay. Then. Um, but again, he was just yeah. he was just having a laugh. Um, what you want in, a, in an interview after a game is you tend to know what the story is and you tend to know if there's something controversial. And I'm at the stage now where if I know I'm going to... I don't like doing anybody in. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's not my style. I'll ask the question because that's my job. Um... And I don't want to not ask a question. And these guys know it's coming. If I know the person well enough, I'll usually say, look, you know, I'll, uh, the last question will be such and such. If you don't want to answer it, hey, don't answer it, you know. But I've got to ask it. Um, and I think that's fair. If I don't know somebody well enough, they've got to be expecting the awkward question. Uh, I think it can be done sensitively, mm. you know. I mean, at the end of the day, you're dealing with people's jobs livelihoods, you know, if managers are going down you know, in terms of their team are going down I once interviewed Sandy Clark at Tynecastle, you could hear the fans outside calling for his head you know, he's still big enough and brave enough to come up and, and speak to you, he knew that was going to be referred to, he'll take it on the chin and I think most football managers are pretty good that way, they know what's coming um, yeah, they get a bit snarky once in a while um, don't try and be too clever I think it is the other thing, you know, genuinely. If somebody's just coming in, their team's lost 5 nothing, and you try and open up with some smart question, you know, you basically say, well, it didn't work for you today. Try, try and give them something that they're going to come back to you on. But if you start saying, well, I thought your back four was all over the place, you didn't quite, quite the cover from the central midfield that you'd set up to do, you know, and your wingers had let you down, and uh, you know, they're more likely to tell you to mm. than they are anything else, you know. Set yourself up for success, you know, and think about what you're going to ask. Listen to what they tell you as well. That's the other thing. You know, some, some interviewers will almost think, right, first question is, second question is, third question is. Uh, and as journalism students, it's sometimes, I've seen it before, you almost think, right, I'm asking them that, that, that and that. But if the answer to question one's got something <laughs> stunning in it yeah. and you don't follow it up, mm-hmm. 
you know, scared that I've missed something. Yeah, you scared that I've missed something. You know, and it's it, it, it's, it's fascinating. I, I mean, I once did an interview with Andy Walker at Town Castle, and there'd been an incident. And I asked the question, you know, Andy, there's been an incident. He said, I don't want to talk about it. So we moved on to the rest of the interview. And I got a piece of advice from one of the guys in here, John Barnes, who used to work in mm. newspapers now. And John said, he says, that was fine. He says, your second question. He said, you should have just followed it up. Just a little tickle, just a little something. I know you don't want to talk about it, Andy, but really it's not what we want to see at Scottish football. And then if he says again, I don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But he might say, yeah, I don't like that kind of thing. The guy came out. I might have got a better answer. Mm. So it's, it's about thinking about and listening. And just sometimes that little jab you know, have a second question ready if you think you're going to get stonewalled. Ask it in a slightly different way, and be just be nice and pleasant to people, mm-hmm. and that that way they, they will tend to tend to speak to you. Would you have any advice for people wanting to get into commentary or or in the, just just sports journalism in general? Yeah, I mean, commentary is a specific skill. Mm-hmm. Um, I can write match articles. I can write pieces. That's not my it's not my thing. Um, I can present, I can do all sorts of things, but commentary is my, my bag, if you like. I'm not a story breaker. Uh, I'm not you know, going to be chasing the phones for stories and get pally with people. That's not me. Um, figure out what you're good at and try and pursue that. Um, and don't be afraid if you can't do something particularly well. That can be a weakness you can work on. But develop your strengths, first of all. Um, jobs are hard to come by, as you guys will know. But don't be discouraged if you can't land yourself the dream, jo- dream job the second you finish, you know, your course or something like that. There's a lot of people working Scottish football part-time, for example. Don't be afraid to, to do something else and to stick in. You then never know when your break might come. Um, and try and be as wide as you can, you know. If it's sports journalism, make sure it's sports journalism. Don't just concentrate on football. Expose yourself to some of the other sports that are around because you never know where that might lead. Um, it's a competitive marketplace. If you're then going to go for a job and you can show the skills that you know you know a bit about rugby, you know a bit about bowls, you know you know a bit about other sports, and you're not too narrow, that kind of thing can make all the difference. So that was Mark Hendry speaking to Paul Mitchell. There um, sounds like yeah, a good wee time with him. It really did. Um, I mean, even when. He, he was very, really accommodating, really good. Um, it was myself and, and someone else from the Rangers ladies that I work with. He he was there as well, just to, you know, he's a sports journalism student in third year, and he was just dealing. He was, we were both there, and both really interested in what Paul had to say. And he went above and beyond. I mean, even when the so-called interview, it was more a conversation. But the the, the interview that we did was finished. He still had time to take us, and we went to the editing suites to see what sports scene, how that's put together, how a how a commentary's, you know, put in, how it's all, how it all works, and it was fascinating. I'm I'm not even being, it's not a hyperbole. It genuinely was really fascinating. Do you say it's um, uh, a career path you'd want to go down? What about you as well, Daniel? Um, for me, I don't know about Daniel. I know Dan- Daniel's got the, f- the face and the voice for radio. So commentary, wow. a bit uh, harsh. some, some <laughs> no, shots fired here on comment, talking commentary Raphael. would you know you have a face for nothing. <laughs> I think commentary for Daniel is a, is a possibility for me. I know I don't have the voice for it. I mean, I I, I don't. I, 
I have a, a normal voice and then whenever I don't know it seems to be a camera or a, a microphone or something's put down to me I'm I'm in accent mode. I, that, that, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. I think that happens to everybody though basically when when a microphone is shoved in front yeah. of them or a camera sort of phone voice or they, accent they, they put, they comes out the, but well it's another, it's, another, it's another side of it because it's another side of it because a lot of people think that commentary is a very simple thing you just mm. talk in front of a microphone no, it's a lot more complicated than that I think Paul, the interview that Paul gave there was it proves that the amount of detail that you have to get into the amount of research that you have to do is is unbelievable but I think the most interesting thing about what he said was it's not you know it's not your job to if you've got down on a sheet of paper, a thousand facts. It's not your job to read the thousand facts. It's your job to take what is sort of applicable for the the minute in the game, what's happening in the game, what's going on in the game. You don't just need to throw in these useless facts just to say, you know, I've I've got it in there. I mean, the, the story that he told about um, one of his colleagues doing exactly that said. You know, after a game, he fist pump, and he said, um, "Oh, I got all my facts in." It's like that's that's not what you're there to do. That's not why. I mean, as a, a listener or a viewer, I'm not interested in in half the stuff that some commentators say. And I think that was the most interesting part. Yeah, and I think a lot of commentators say that in general is that you're not there to throw facts out. You're there to, especially on radio, you are there to tell mm-hmm. the listener what's happening. There's a summarise there to tell you why it's happening, but it's in principle, as you say, it's not simple. But in principle, it's very simple. Describe the football game. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more used to hearing Paul on tele- television mm. as opposed to radio. And um, but certainly when he was on te- telly, he always did a very, very good job of describing what was going on, keeping the viewer, the listener informed. Um, you know, he's he's certainly a great, he's certainly a great. A person to listen to because he's been there and done it. He has been, uh, as I sort of heard him say at the start, before he even really got started, he'd been all over the place. Mm, well, one of the things, um, and we we did say this to Paul himself that we're not trying to sort of big him up or stroke the ego, but he is the voice that we sort of grew up listening to. I mean, when BBC had the the footage to all the old firm games and all, all the, the the major games in Scottish football. It was always Paul Mitchell. I think I'm right in saying the 2008 UEFA Cup final, Paul Mitchell did that for the BBC. I cannot remember. I, I watched so. that in France. I, I think so, because um, that was the time when he was he was lead uh, mm-hmm. commentator for BBC Scotland, so I think that was definitely him that did that. It's kind of a voice that's become synonymous. With yeah, Scottish it really football. is, and I think um, it's, just, it's the voice that I've always... Every time I think of Scottish football, I think of that voice. And I think of Paul Mitchell, and I think that's that's what the the legacy that is being built by Paul. And I think that is is successful. Well, just just a wee thank you to Paul Mitchell for speaking to us. Uh, that's so the end of our second special on talking Raphael. We do hope to have more of these to bring out to you. Uh, my thanks to Mark Hendry and Daniel Bowers. You're very welcome. For... You're thanks welcome. very much, Paul Mitchell, as well. Thanks very yes, much, to Paul you. Mitchell. I've been Cal McCaffrey. You've been listening to Talking Raphael. Thank you for uh, listening, and we hope to see you on Friday. Thank you very much.